Hello, my name is John Tonsi, and welcome to the Connect Podcast with Indianola First Assembly. And I'm Joel Simpson, and our goal is to build community and relationships through sharing life experiences and God stories to inspire and connect with each other on a deeper level. Today is a very special one for me. We're going to be interviewing Ben Carpenter, and we're going to really going to get to know who Ben is. First question, where did you grow up? I grew up down by New Virginia, out in the country, right off a highway called G76. Going to Interstate 35 schools, I was a roadrunner all the way through my junior year of high school. And then we moved to Indianola in 1992 when my dad took a position uh, as an electrical apprentice with Baker Electric. I was a senior in high school, left Interstate 35, came to Indianola. Graduated early after one semester, met my wife in that semester, the beginning of that first semester of my senior year, and the rest is history, Joel. Awesome. So how long have you been at this house here in in Indianola? So we moved into this house in 2006 when we went broke. So we went went completely broke. The sheriff showed up at my house, my beautiful country house in 2006. And uh, nine o'clock at night and handed me foreclosure papers out in the country. Uh, I had been fixing this house up, uh, getting it ready to uh, sell so we could try to make some cash to recoup uh, some financial woes that a previous business had caused us. And uh, my fixing it up uh, all the while God had been preparing it through my hard work for my family to live here. And so what was that? 17 years ago. I guess just about now. Almost to the day. In fact, it was spring 2006. We knew it was coming. And so uh, when the sheriff finally showed up, 9 o'clock, they come after hours in the evening to try to give you some, uh, I don't know, some mercy so your neighbors don't see what's going on and uh, fix that place up, patched all the holes, got it all tidied up for the next owner and got a U-hole and moved into this old junker that we live in now that, that God provided for us. I shouldn't say junker, but God provided for us. That's a, that's amazing. And, you know, it's it's cool to see how God works through those things and prepares things even when we don't even know what's going on. How did you get into that situation, you know, as far as, you know, losing your house and kind of how did that go through? And how did, how did you, you know, work through that with your family? That's a great question. So uh, I got into the electrical trade in 1993, followed my father right in. I saw, I saw my dad at school every Saturday. Uh, I was in the, uh, apprenticeship for five years and I uh, got out in 98. Everything I'd done, I was, wasn't as smart or as good as any of the other apprentices or electricians that I worked around, but I was willing to work harder. I came out of the country and off the farm and I was willing to run. I was willing to do whatever it took to uh, work harder and work um, differently than the other technicians. And so God just really blessed my hands and my hard work. But it's amazing, you know, looking back, it's amazing how God, in his infinite wisdom and blessing, can give you such amazing success as a young man. And then you. S- you start to think you are the one. I probably didn't, as a young man, you know, when you're in your 20s, you don't realize you're getting an ego, but I had a beautiful wife and we were starting a family and 
2001, we opened a health food store here in Indianola called Jamie's Hometown Health Foods. And uh, it was uh, on the north, let's see, northwest corner of the square. There's a little wine shop there now, the local vine. They do a great job over there. But that health food store did okay. It did, we weren't getting rich by any means, but it held its own and we made a little bit of money. And um, I came home from working in my electrical position at the company I was working for, a company called Stroke Corporation. And I came home and, and kind of left that behind in 2002 uh, when my second child was on his way. And I think it was 2002. He was born in May of 2002. That was my son, Daniel. I was taking care of our health food store for about a year. And then my wife and I got a hankering. At this point, I'm thinking, man, everything I touch turns to gold. This is all going to work out. And so we got this great idea to open an ice cream store. And we opened an ice cream store called Frosted Rock Creamery. It's kind of that marble slab uh, idea. The financing, everything came together and uh, and was working, working, uh, coming, coming right around. And we got the business off the ground and it lost money every single month for a year until I was completely depleted and completely broke. Um, we opened probably May or June of, I think it was 2004. By July or August of 2005, we were gone. We were done, completely broke. In fact, the, the house that I live in today, uh, I sold two freezers from that ice cream store, not knowing that the bank had a lien against them. Sold them on eBay. Used the t- the two thousand dollars I got for each one of those freezers to buy this house and and uh, and another little thing we had going. Uh, we bought them on contract because my, of course my credit was shot. And here we are in a house that I bought with a down payment from a freezer from a failed ice cream store in two thousand five. It was awesome. Wow, that's that's pretty incredible. So tell us a little bit more about your family. Yeah, so um, my wife and I have, uh, let's see, in 2000, we had my daughter. She's 20, uh, 22 years old, a beautiful uh, little girl. Her name's Rachel Marie, and we had my son Daniel uh, in 2000. I guess that was 2003, maybe, when I came home, 2003, when I came back and um, quit Stroh. And then Aaron came in 2004, so we had three kids right there in the early 2000s, three toddlers bouncing around the house, and actually, we were fixing this house up, and uh, it was a crazy crazy life. And then, uh, through that situation, through the failure of one business and starting, uh, well, when one door closes, obviously you got to figure out a way to put food on the, on the table. And, um, you can imagine my ego was hurt pretty bad. And so we started another business called Integra Electrical. It was actually called Daybreak Electrical, but we changed the name mid-year when a friend of mine uh, gave up his business and decided to go uh, corporate. And uh, we took over, took over his name and called it Integra Electrical in 2006. Uh, so we had three kids. I started running service calls and I go in on a service call. Cause of course, what you, what do you do? You know, when you're, when you're broke and you just want to put groceries on the table, you go back to what you know. And electricity was what I knew. I'd been independent long enough with the health food store and the ice cream store to know I didn't want to go be an employee for somebody else again. And, and so I put the tools on and I went and started running service calls and uh, we got our little business and take electrical off the uh, ground in 2006. And I would go on service calls for several years, for probably four or five years, three or four years, something like that. And I go in and there'd be a young lady, a young mom in uh, one of these houses that I do a service call on. And she'd be holding some little precious baby. And I would just fall in love with that little critter all over again. And I'd go home to my wife at the end of the day and I'd be like, Jamie, we got to have another one. I did that for a, a couple of years. And she finally gave in to my amazing wiles. And in 2010... 2010, we had my fourth child, Anna, 
And then she was followed up with uh, Madeline three years later, who's my 10 year old. So was it about that time that she told you you couldn't go on service calls anymore? <laughs> that, that was about the time it was, we're not having any more kids. Something's got to change. You, you got to hire yeah, somebody for yeah. service calls. You're not going to be around babies anymore because you just, you're too much of a softie. So, so uh, how did you meet your wife? So, uh, so I live across the street in Indianola from the library. And uh, we used to walk past the home that I live in today on romantic walks when we were still in high school. And uh, um, I was a senior in high school and we moved over onto West Salem Avenue. And uh, my wife, uh, right at the beginning of the school year in 1992, was walking home with my sister and her girlfriend. And I was listening to Rush Limbaugh, was blaring out my bedroom window and lifting weights with no shirt on. I look like quite the stud, I'm sure. And uh, I came out and I saw this young lady standing out there. I was like, oh, hello. Hey, what's your name? And I shook her hand and asked her if she knew Rush Limbaugh. And I was like instantly in love at that point. And and I went back inside and I said to my sister, I said to my sister, Sarah, my uh, we're 11 months apart. Who is that girl right there? And, uh, and the next thing I knew, uh, Jamie's telephone number was on my pillow in my bedroom and I was asking her out on a date to go see a movie called Honeymoon in Vegas up here at the Fridley Movie Theater in 1992, September 5th, I believe it was, 1992. So how long did you guys date or when did you get married then? So Jamie was a freshman in high school and I was a senior and um, I graduated early that year. That uh, following spring in 93 is when I got in the electrical apprenticeship and I had to wait for Jamie to graduate. Uh, so, like all of us, you know, young guys, or maybe not so much, when um, Jamie was 17, um, we went to, uh, I took her out to see uh, the honeymoon, or no, 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 the, um, the Nutcracker Suite. What am I thinking? I'm jumping ahead to the fun part. And uh, to the nut, Nutcracker, uh, the Nutcracker in Des Moines, uh, the, ball- the ballet at Christmas time. I proposed marriage to my wife when she was a junior in high school, 17 years old. There was no scandal, no funny business, none of that. And just pure, just true love. And that evening we uh, reflected on a couple of dates uh, in September when my wife would be 18. And uh, Jamie took a couple of uh, summer school classes that following summer after a junior year, got her graduating credits and she graduated a year early and we wed that following fall. September 30th, 28 years ago this September, 1995. Yeah, Yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I guess what uh, what was that process getting started out? You know, we got, my wife and I got married fairly young, not quite as young as you guys. And so kind of what was that process and and kind of walking through that, you know, as teens, you know, married and... and Well, actually, Joel, that's a great question. So one of the things that... um, Looking back to to paint the picture, we really grew up together. Um, I was 17 when we met. She was 15 years old. You know, we were just kids. And so um, it really was just true love, just like puppy love. And um, and and she came. Jamie came from a a broken home. Um, Her mom had remarried, but she came from a Christian home or at least a Christian background with rock solid Christian grandparents, Ann and Paul Martin, just super special people. And uh, I came from a rock solid Christian family. And with those values 
embedded in solely in Jesus Christ, it was just like we were just the match. It was just a perfect. Uh, it was hand in glove. You could not have. It just was perfect. And so, but the the downside was I was only seventeen and she's only fifteen, so I had to wait three years. You know, her mom wasn't gonna let her get married when she's a kid, really a kid. I mean, we were kids when I was twenty and eighteen, but still, just that's just the way it was. And um, I planned everything. Obviously, I planned to get an apprenticeship and figure out a way to make a living. And I was responsible enough, young man, to know that I needed to make a living so that we could survive when she graduated. And and we had a little apartment out by. Um, at Van L, Van L Apartments out here off of Kent, um, South J. The rest, like I said, is history, right? Yeah, that's that's awesome. It's, it's fun to hear those stories. And Tell us how you started coming to Indianola first. We were actually, um, we had uh, were really involved in a church in Des Moines called Berean Assembly. And um, great church. This was in... This was right after we lost the ice cream store. We were in the middle of trying to find another church family. There was It was complete chaos. It's funny how life carries you. And when the crap hits the fan, it's not just one thing hitting the fan. It's like multiple things. And while we were losing a business and we were losing our house, we also lost our church home. And I'm not going to say names, but we also lost our church home. And it wasn't that we got kicked out. It just there was some developing things that just weren't following our value system. Uh, and it wasn't anything to my knowledge that was sinful or anything. It was just, it was a time for, we had to move on. And so we landed at Berean. Incidentally, somebody on a, on a service call recommended Berean. It's kind of funny. All the major decisions I've ever done all happened in a service call. <laughs> so we ended up at Berean and uh, we were there for three or four or five years, something like that. And we, it was amazing. It was just an incredible experience. And then Berean uh, went through a leadership uh, shift and we kind of kind of saw the writing on the wall that um, that we weren't going to be probably real compatible with the the movements that the church was going. Not that again that it was bad or anything; it just wasn't going to be for us. And so we moved on, and we actually were uh, doing did house church in this home for about four years, three or four years, something like that. And um, and as that season of house church kind of winded down, we met with two or three other families uh, here, and I kind of led the way and. And I uh, learned how to play guitar. That's what the guitars are up on my wall in the office. And as that season kind of came to a close, it was uh, it was time for us to figure out, okay, how are we, what are we going to do about like more of a, a corporate or a larger church? What are we going to do now for our church home? Because we are firm believers that you need to meet with your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's just no. If you're saved, you should want to be with other Christians. It's just natural. It's They're your family. Being with Christians is your family. And so my wife and I knew that. And um, so we're coming out of house church and we got, I got online and I'm looking and I'm like, well, this, this, this church over here looks really good. I'm not going to say names. This church over here looks really good or Indianola first assembly looks really good. Which way should we go? And I'd, I'd seen a little bit of marketing on Indianola first. It just really didn't fit something. There's just something about it that, that was irritating to me. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say that? And so, and so we went the other way, uh, just looking at websites. So, <laughs> so we went to this other church and we were at this other church for, for a couple of years. And I, like I said, I'm not going to say, uh, I'm not going to say names or anything because it's a small community and I'm, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. 
And uh, but the Lord was really working on me in those two years uh, on my spirit and uh, in my attitude. And he's still working through a lot of stuff, stuff that I was dealing with from, you know, maybe from when I was a kid, just bad attitudes and things that you deal with, you know. And incidentally, Joel, in that time, you notice I like bicycling. I was able to unleash my fury out on the asphalt and I got some of my best, my best times out on the highway uh, during that because I was a very angry, but it's so amazing because I actually had this conversation with another friend of mine. It's so amazing that when God is shutting one door, how we curse the door being shut and meanwhile, he's direct, he, all he's doing is he's directing you to another door. And the other door is so much better than the one you were at. And uh, so while I, I poke fun and I make, I make fun and make light of that, it's just, it's amazing when you look back how often, I mean, John, you really stop and think about that. How often do we curse God? And we don't even realize we're doing it. Meanwhile, he's just saying, hey, bud, I'm just shutting the door. I'm just moving you on. Relax. Yeah, you may not like it. Yeah, it's really ticking you off. Get over it. This isn't this isn't the Ben Carpenter show. This is the Jesus Christ show. And I got to get you out of your way so that I can move you where I want you to go. And uh, man, I've seen that over and over again at friends of mine where people just get so bitter and so angry. Even though I did get my best times on the bike. And so frustrated and you lose sleep and you grind your teeth and you throw a fit and you say terrible things about people, even though I didn't, I'm a, I'm a small businessman. So I know I got to, I've got to watch my tongue in a small community. You can't be lambasting people, but, but God was just, he was just shutting the door instead of praising God, instead of saying, thank you, Lord, for shutting that door, for removing me from that and moving me on. I was just livid. Yeah, I've definitely been behind like some doors closing and at the time you're going through it, I mean, it's chaos and it's it's hard and you you're angry, you're upset that different things happen, but um then once you get through that and you find the other door and you look back on it and you realize I was unhappy in that situation or I was, I was not right for that situation. And I mean, praise God that he's able to do that for us. Uh, absolutely. John, that is absolutely true. One of the key things that you said just now though, was going to the other door and going through the other door. And, uh, we've all in this room, we've all seen people that stop it happens, the door gets closed, and they it's like they get trapped in the hallway, This, and they, they never realize, I've got to get moving again. But we got to keep moving because God doesn't want us to stop with hurt feelings. That's not why he died on the cross. And another way I've heard it put is like God can't steer a parked oh. car, right? If you're not oh. moving, like God God will guide and direct you. And so there's there's a freeing moment when you realize that God wants what's best for you more than you do. And he knows what's best for you more than you do. And so I think that's where um, we have to learn that, hey, when that door closed, that we have to believe God has something better in store. And we have to we have to manage those emotions. And now I will tell you, I'm not that great at it. I'm the same way, you know. But 
um, it's also a freeing experience when we realize that and then we start looking for um, how he's guiding for us. But then it also gives you peace of, hey, as long as I'm moving forward, because I can also get into like paralysis analysis mm. is what I call it, mm. you know, where there's two doors and you're like, I don't know which one. Well, many times it's worse if you don't pick any door, you know, and to your point, it's like, get moving. And then God will close the door if it's not the right one. He'll move you in the right direction. And so move forward in confidence in your relationship with him and your faith and in, in that he's going to guide you. And as long as you continue to be open to that, you're not going to move in the wrong direction. Uh, and, you know, and, and he's going to guide you back to whatever that, that Joel, that is. So, is. That is so good. I, I love the analysis paralysis. I talk to my team about that all the time and just move, move fast, break things and quit worrying about it. We'll fall back and fix them. Stuff like, you know, those types of attitudes. And uh, Joel, you so nailed it. Um, what we perceive as the wrong door is not automatically mean it was the wrong door. And even though I could look back and say, well, that church was the wrong, well, was that, how do I say that that was the wrong door? Because the truth is that was, how can I say that that wasn't God just using his chisel to knock off some ego? Uh, he was just honing me and preparing me for another step. And man, and yet we, like I said, we just sit there. I hate to say it, frankly, uh, I hate to be so brutally honest, but the truth is with that level of attitude, we're really cursing God. He's just doing the work on us and we need to back out of the way and let him do it. So tell us how you actually got started coming to Indianola first. So after, after that, what was it like kind of, you know, first starting, were you kind of all in, Hey, we're, we're there and we're there every Sunday. And like, kind of, how did that go getting connected and how long? Yeah. So that was, I think about 2016 ish, something like that, about 2016. Well, I told you it was one of two churches and we went the wrong way. Well, got after saying that, obviously we went the right way, but it was a door that got shut. So we ended up in 2016 at, uh, at Indianola first. And it was pretty much, uh, we were all in, um, when I uh, heard Barry talk uh, and when I heard Barry preach, I just sensed that we were probably a lot cut from the same cloth and uh, that he didn't hold a whole lot back uh, from the pulpit. And I really appreciated that. And so uh, we started going there and it just felt like it just felt like a rock solid connection. We've been uh, solid there since, like I said, 2016, went out to dinner with some leadership a couple of times and just it just was right. It was just family. So where do you sit? So um, I want to make sure this is really heard well to everybody that listens to this podcast. Fourth row, third tier on the left, and nobody should be, ever be taking those seats, ever. I thought you are consistently in the same spot. And so I went one week just to make sure your name wasn't like, sharpied into the seat or something i'm not telling you where that seat is marked or how it's marked but i would just give you fair warning if i was you don't sit there <laughs> i think i'm gonna show up there and uh oh, I'm gonna that's beat great you to church. that's great what's one thing that your business venture did that you didn't expect well that's a good question joel there is so much more to business that has everything to do with leadership and self-reflection and self-growth. I think I used to think that there were some people that were just naturally gifted, and I suppose there are people that are maybe more naturally gifted to leadership than others. Uh, 
but I don't think I had any idea the calling to business, how brutally difficult the change in growth would be. It's, maybe it's this: the older you get, it's just harder to change. I don't know. But to have to learn how to lead and not be frustrated every single day at how short you are on what your organization needs. Uh, people, it's so funny, people... People will look at business leaders, and I'm I'm, I'm speaking from the cuff. Uh, I've talked to enough business leaders to know that I I think um, many of them probably feel the same way that I do. Um, but people will look at business leaders and they'll think, "Wow, that person's got it all together. Wow, they they've got this, or they do that, or," and they have no idea how many of those business leaders go to bed every single night just asking themselves why they aren't measuring up to the standard that their organization needs them at. And uh, I think that is just a, that is a lesson that is, um, uh, truthfully, that is a lesson that I think only the grace of God can help you through when you realize when you, when you have to lean on Jesus Christ for the strength to get through every single day and to not let business tear at the very seams of your marriage or the very seams of your family while you're trying to sort through all the personal stuff and the personal woes of figuring out the leadership piece. My wife and I have these cards that we, um, like at night, we'll, we'll pull these cards out and we'll read questions to each other and we'll like, just answer those questions. And one of them was like, uh, who's someone that you aspire to be like? And I thought about it for a minute and it might sound a little corny here, but I was like, telling us like, man, I aspire to be like Ben Carpenter. And she's like, okay, why? I said, that guy, like he's running a business and he's been through things, but like if I go and I talk to him, he is honest and he is truthful. And if there's something going on in his life or there's something like, he'll tell me about it. it I mean, I go to him and it's not like I see him like he's trying to portray this business person that has everything all together. He just like he's honest about his life. And like, I really appreciate that. about. Are you, you. saying, do you have any idea how humbling hearing something like that is when most of us think we have completely fallen, like like we have no idea what's what we're doing, that we're just trying to squeak through. Do you have any idea how humbling that is? I, I, I'm sure it probably is a little bit, maybe, but I just know, like, I really appreciate your honesty. You, like, I, I can talk to you and I can ask you questions, and you're just. Yeah, you're just down to earth. You're so honest about everything that you say. And I feel like um, conversations with you, like you just give it to me straight. And uh, yeah, that, I just appreciate well, it. Well, like I said, that's extremely, extremely humbling. Um, it's kind of funny. I, I set a timer and I was just reminded as the, t as the seconds were ticking by, those are seconds I'm never going to get back. Time goes and those are seconds that are just, I hate to be so morbid, but those are seconds that are just so so much closer to the grave. I mean, for us in, in as Christians, of course, it's a victory because we get to spend eternity with Jesus. But when the reason I say that, John, is when I think about the seconds and I think about life as short as it is, we just do not have time and we got to be real with people. There's no time. I mean, we are living in it. I mean, we are living in a crazier time. I told you a little bit about what my business is going through, but we are living in a time where truth is on. I mean, it's being tried and uh, it's, it's like there's a jury in front of it saying, 
No, that truth is guilty. There is no truth anymore. And uh, we've just got to start stepping up and encouraging each other and being real with each other and letting people know, man, that, let me tell you what really happened this last week. Let me tell you, let me tell you when I don't sit next to my wife at church, you know, it wasn't real great week for me and my marriage. I mean, we should, I don't know why people, why, why we don't just step up and see that Ben's not, if, if his daughter is between him and his wife, he probably had a really crappy week with his wife. We need to be able to start, man, we shouldn't be so darn foolish as Christians. I mean, we're, we're meeting together as the body of Christ. We got to start recognizing when people hurt and being willing to step into that and saying, bud, what? what's up? Why is your daughter sitting between you and your wife? It's not right. And by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm only saying that because I'm guessing I'm not the only guy who's been in that situation. How, I mean, how else do we cut to the quick and help each other? Because this is, do you guys realize, so I told you, I told you before we even started this, that the last quarter has been really hard on me and my wife. We're trying to figure out the next season of our life. We haven't talked to anybody about this. I was at a prayer night Thursday last week and I was just stone cold quiet. And um, my family could see, it was a prayer night with my family and they could see something just was not right. We're living in a time we, you know, we think, I think it's my wife, Jamie, or it's my business is, is, and we, I've got a great, I've got a good business and it's, it's profitable and it's doing okay. It's not doing as great as I wish it would, but we're working through some issues and obviously working through some issues with my family and my wife and we can't forget or, or, um, all the other stuff that comes against us that, man, we don't fight against flesh and blood and this stuff where I think that it's my wife man, it's not my wife. It's, uh, and so when you see Anna sitting between us it, and I'm allowing that to happen in my house and I'm allowing Satan to take a foothold, we got to recognize that in each other. And we got to start asking the right questions. We got to start stepping into the gap for each other and not asking how you doing, you know, the one, one word, three syllable thing that every Iowan says, you know, how you doing? And we don't really care. Or how you doing? And I don't really want to know. Just tell me fine. And cutting to the quick because because Satan's coming after us hard. This country's hanging in the balance. This city's hanging in the balance. And we 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 think we've got a great church. Our church is hanging in the balance. Everything is in the balance. And that's where I think relationships are so important. You know, and you have to build those relationships, and they have to be real to to what you're talking about. And I think a lot of people are kind of unwilling to be real. Because that requires them being vulnerable as well. And for whatever reason, just society has created where it's like, no, you don't, don't be vulnerable. And so we have to get over that because that's where real relationships happen. And we should be noticing things like that. And it doesn't matter how large your church is. If you don't have deep relationships where we're, you know, in conversations or even challenges for each other, then we're not going to be effective in God's kingdom. And it's so, so important. And so honestly, that's, a, you know, what's at the heart of even doing this is to say, hey, how, how can we take a step closer uh, to building some better relationships within the church so we can get to that level of, you know, brotherhood and sisterhood? Yeah. Joel, I couldn't agree brotherhood. with you more. I think that's, uh, I think that is so good. I think along with the vulner the vulnerability that you're talking about, which for men oftentimes is very difficult. It's difficult for me too, but being willing to press in when we see that there's an issue. Uh, it's you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see when somebody's having a rough go 
And uh, even though we want to walk out of the house with, you know, pretending like everything's kicks and giggles and unicorns and fairy tales and rainbows, it's a little bit of discernment and you can see and be, and then we need to be willing, not just to be vulnerable, but we need to be willing to step into the gap and to press into that and say, uh, you know what? I'm here for you. I can tell you're having a rough go. In fact, I can tell you having a rough go. Let me pray for you. And, and if I, and by the way, I've been mad enough and frustrated enough. I'm being like, you can pray for me, but now's not the time. I, I just don't even want any of that. And I'm sure some of us, I'm not the only guy, but then there's times when, you know what, that's exactly what we need. In fact, frankly, that's when we, that's what we always need. No, that's good, Joel. On that, on that note of, of relationships, tell us about someone that's been really influential you know, in your life and how they've impacted you. A few years ago, we lost the patriarch of our family. Um, his name is Don Phillips. He's my grandfather. And uh, my grandma's still surviving. Her name's Connie. And they are, they or they are, they were, my grandmother still is, the quintessential matriarch of our family. But together, they were absolutely the quintessential, grandpa was absolutely the quintessential patriarch of a family. He was a man of few words, but when they were spoken, they were spoken with power uh, and wisdom. And while I didn't agree with everything, uh, he came out of a he came from a very much a blue collar background. And here I was a, going into business, and uh, so I didn't always agree with everything he said. When it counted, he was absolutely the guy. They were saved. Uh, my grandparents were saved in 1973, just a couple of years before we, I was born. And so their story was amazing. They ended up and saved later in life, approaching 40 years old, probably, I suppose. And grandma, I remember as a boy um, going to VBS and, and there was another, there was another um, thing that we did at the park. It was like, a, I want to say it was a VBS at a park in New Virginia, but that there was some other, you know, kids thing where grandma was there sharing God's word and. Uh, they were the ones who were really instrumental, along with my parents, really instrumental in me getting saved at, at a very young age. And but Grandpa, man, he was just—he was the guy. If you had a—if you had a question that needed a wise answer, he was the guy everybody in our family went to. When when our family lost him, it left a massive hole, and uh, it's a hole that is slowly getting filled. I think. And it'll be filled someday. That was a big loss. Yeah, that's tough. Oh, that's really important. You know, family relationships and the legacy they leave. You know, it's incredible. What's some God stories? Some things that God really did in your life? Man, I'll tell you what. There are so many. You know, when you start looking back at the fabric of your life, and even before you were even on this earth, you can see God's hand and everything that was going on. I told you, my, it's interesting you asked about my grandfather, Joel. Um, I think it was 1973, two years, I was born in 75, so two years before I was born. My 18-year-old at the time, my uncle, Uncle Mike, uh, went to New Orleans with a friend of his to go, I think, probably party or chase girls or do something ridiculous. Rebellious 18-year-olds out of high school, you know, and Mike got radically saved in New Orleans radically like Jesus freak radically like radically to the point that he came home and grandma and grandpa were like he joined a cult radically and 
God was at work. And by the way, what's amazing about that is in 73, when this happened, it was at a coffee house, some pastor, youth guy, or somebody came up to Mike and just said, Hey, you want to get saved? And I'm sure there was probably some function or something going on that Mike just happened to end up with at his brother, at his buddy's house. I think his sister was down there. I think maybe it was with the Jesus people or some interesting function that was going on in New Orleans. And, uh, That dude has no idea, by the way, his obedience and what that meant to my entire family because what I'm about to tell you is is unbelievable. Mike comes back in 1973. My grandparents think he's joined a cult and then they see this kid is radically changed. This rebellious little kid that went off completely changed. And uh, grandma and grandpa got saved. My parents got saved. My other aunts and uncles got saved. That whole generation, by the way, my family was on the verge of breakup. Grandma and grandpa were on the edge of divorce. Grandma had been in and out. Her story is amazing. Had been in and out of um, just some crazy stuff. Just crazy stuff. You have to ask grandma. And God absolutely changed. In mid-80s, they were with Wycliffe Bible translators. Uh, This blue-collar couple. And now they're traveling around the world to the Philippines and in Indonesia and in Africa and Brazil with Wycliffe as support missionaries. And uh, my family was just completely changed, turned upside down. That was uh, absolutely pivotal. Even before I was born, the Lord was weaving our, uh, our uh, uh, Jesus Christ legacy together. And then to think about um, the uh, doors being shut and opened when my when we moved to Indianola and I met my wife uh, in, as a senior in high school, God God's hand in the relationship that He gave my wife and I and and keeping that relationship pure all the way to when we were we were uh, wed in uh, 1995 and doors being shut uh, at Stroke Corporation as we opened a health food store. I just His hand in the whole story to, that's got me here. I wish I could say there was one big thing. It wasn't, you know, I don't have some amazing story of, I mean, I was a rebellious teenager, but I don't have some amazing story of being in jail or being on drugs, or I was a church kid growing up, you know, and uh, went to Awana clubs, you know, I got my meritorious trophy out of Awana, you know, it's, uh, that, that was me. I mean, that was the the guy at uh, the church I went to growing up, uh, Martinsville Community Church, good church, by the way. But God just... There hasn't been a day in my life, not every not every day or every season did I follow the Lord the way I should have, but there wasn't a season where the Lord wasn't right there watching over me and taking care of me and walking me through it. And, you know, right up to uh, in 2000 when we had our first baby and and then our second and our third and our fourth and our fifth, businesses being lost, businesses being started and learning how to lead and leaning on him every single day. I, don't, I wish I could say there was one story john man i wish i would have been prepared there's i'm sure in that in that whole laced out thing i'm sure there's some i guarantee there's some amazing stories i've already talked about a couple of them about god shutting doors and opening doors and and me cursing the doors that god was shutting while he was opening up other doors and i was just keeping the moving just staying on track and moving and like like houses that you're fixing up having an idea that you're going to sell and make a profit. And then the sheriff gives you papers at your beautiful country home. And then you end up in the crappy old house that 
was supposed to be for some other family and it's now you in that home and and uh which by the way I, I say crappy old house it's turned out to be a pretty nice house took a lot of tlc but it's it's not too bad now you know it's it's not too bad but if you should have seen it when we moved here joel had like a dozen windows broken out you could crawl through holes in the foundation i mean it was a, a it was bad you know dead animals underneath it the whole thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> but god is good you know he just you come out the other side and you start to realize all this material stuff that's just so meaningless and it all comes down to relationships and sharing Christ with the people that are around us that need to hear them and need uh, to see real truth. People that are so confused and so lost and not wanting to think that anything is normal anymore. Sorry, John, that's a long answer, a long, very obscure answer to a, such a simple question. That's right. That's what we're looking for. <laughs> oh, okay. Then ask me another one. I'll give you another long, obscure, a long, obscure answer. All right. All right. What's some family activities that you guys like to do? So that, well, that's a good question. So um, despite uh, whether my wife and I are getting along really well or not, Almost every single week. In fact, how about this? 39, I would say 39 out of 40 Friday nights, my wife and I will be out on a date night, whether we're getting along or not. By the way, incidentally, if we're at the movies, we might not be getting along real well because, you know, at the movies, you don't have to talk. (laughs) So even Friday nights, I will strategize, but we still do it, right? It's still like our thing. We go out on Friday nights. Last week, I think it was Saturday night, but we still got out, you know, and um, so my wife and I uh, love going out and uh, a couple of years ago, we got a a camper and so now we really enjoy going out with our girls and um, going to campgrounds and and traveling. Uh, We really enjoy that. I love to bicycle. You guys have already heard me talk a little bit about that and yeah, how about that? Sounds great. We really appreciate the time and and your willingness to share with us today. 